I hope you're enjoying a year of polygamy a year later. As a reminder, I'll only be updating the month of June 2016 with six episodes. This is part three of six. Someone mentioned the other day that I need to change the name of the podcast to Years of Polygamy, which I love. But I'm glad to bring you an update every year. Please consider a monthly subscription to the podcast to keep the content alive and going strong. You can donate at yearofpolygamy.com and don't forget to share the podcast with your friends. Welcome back to Year of Polygamy. You may have noticed that the dulcet Utah tones of Lindsay Hanson Park are entirely absent. And uh, Year of Polygamy will be hosted this evening by Sarah Burlingame, who who has none of the Utah drawl, none of the famous Hanson Park charm, but all of the nosiness that you have come to expect from Year of Polygamy. So let's get going. Lindsay, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, I am here and I appreciate being interviewed. This is strange. (laughs) And who's with you tonight, Lindsay? I actually have a very special guest, someone who um, this is probably the last thing that they would like to be doing right now. This is my husband, Dallin. Dallin, can you say hello? Hello. Glad to be here. Yeah, we were talking um, right before we started recording, and I, I believe, Dallin, you said that Lindsay put words in your mouth and that you were actually happy to be doing this podcast this evening. Yeah, that's true. Lindsay actually likes to talk for me a lot. She was like, yeah, I don't. he doesn't really want to be doing this. He's distracted. And I'm like, mm, I think so. I'm pretty happy I'm to be here. <laughs> okay, well, I, I just need... I think, well, that was the perfect segue into tonight's discussion. As most of you know, you're... Polygamy ran from 2014 to 2015. There were a hundred episodes and what started as one woman's explication of her personal connection to polygamy within the Mormon faith became a much broader movement that by the end had garnered attention from the New York Times, uh, from National Geographic. Lindsay Hanson Park became a resource for the BBC, for NPR, for major news outlets, anybody who was seeking to understand the world of polygamy as it's understood and practiced by adherents of the LDS faith in in many of their their, their different forms. Um, It also led to the foundation of the Fern Foundation and Lindsay Hanson Park's direct involvement with those currently living and practicing polygamy in Colorado, in Utah, and beyond. And uh, I don't think anyone could have anticipated that that's where that little podcast was going to go. But as as Lindsay has noted, wherever she um, speaks about polygamy, wherever she speaks about year of polygamy, the persistent question is, what does your husband think about that? So tonight, we're going to um, go back in time and to when the podcast first began and ask some questions of, of Dallin and, and Lindsay, figure out where this came from, how it affected their marriage, how Dallin has perceived it, and where they see themselves now. Does that sound good, you guys? That sounds great to me. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so let's let's begin with that that question. Dallin, I know that you frequently attend conferences and speaking engagements with Lindsay, and people will um, ask you in kind of a shy or <laughs> you know hesitant way, like, "Are you okay with this?" What's what's your answer to them? What what do you say when people ask you that? Yeah, I just. Say, yeah, of course I'm okay with this. I mean, how, how could you not be like the great work that Lindsay's done? So yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, for sure I'm okay with it. Well, let's go, let's go back to the beginning. Um, when Lindsay first started the podcast, Dallin, what, what did you think of, um, the, the, the new, <laughs> I mean, Lindsay always brings books home. Lindsay always has stacks of whatever she's researching. And with those books come the people who have, who have written them or they're written about them. And, and those people start coming into your home as well. Um, what, what did you think about that? I I just thought at first it was just like kind of like the 
there's just the new thing that Lindsay was going to be into and, you know, just kind of a phase that she was in and she would, she'd kind of research the heck out of it and then be done with it. Never really expected it to amount to what it actually amounted to. Sure. And Dylan, for you, like had before Lindsay did the podcast, did you feel any anxiety around polygamy? Did you have any particular attachment to it as theologically or spiritually? So like, I, not really, like I always knew polygamy existed, like in the, in the LDS church, like the history of it. Like I was aware Joseph Smith practiced polygamy, obviously Brigham Young never really gave much thought other than that. Just, it was just kind of there in the, in your back, in, you know, in the back of your mind. But no, Lindsay, you had a different connection to polygamy and I know you've spoken about this in a number of podcasts, but can you just tell us a little bit about your connection? Yeah, it's so funny. Like, I will still kind of tease Dallin about this now that, well, of course it wasn't a big deal for you because the, this sort of, um, explains what my general problem was, which was the imbalance. And before I even had words to know what those feelings were or what, where my angst was, I just feel like, you know, growing up as an LDS girl, I, my mom, was very well read on pioneer history. I knew that Brigham Young was a polygamist. I was fine with it. It was sort of this quirky little thing about our history. It didn't bother me. If you would have asked me to defend it, I would defend it. I would say I'm fine with polygamy. It's not a big deal. And it wasn't until I started dating and then I had to choose between two people. And I've spoken about this um, probably all the time on the, you know, on different podcasts, but I was engaged to someone I'm sort of engaged, like informally engaged to a missionary I was waiting for and one of Dallin and, and I had this sort of tumultuous three months, got married really quickly, felt I had to be married to one or the other. And as soon as I was married, all of a sudden polygamy took on a new meaning. And, and I talked to a lot of women, especially like fundamentalist women who say that they would defend polygamy. And then when they got married to their first husband and they knew polygamy was inevitable, that it sort of changed. And and I definitely experienced that. I definitely experienced the the threat of polygamy and how, how now that I was married and I had a husband, I sort of knew what it was I would be sharing. But also because I had been so like deeply in love with this other person when I got married. And then that was supposed to just all of a sudden disappear. Mm -hmm. Those feelings when I married Dallin and here I find myself conflicted and married to, to one man that I loved, but also thinking about another man that I loved that wasn't my husband. That was really difficult for me. And so to struggle with that and to grapple with that, and it was painful for years and years and years in my marriage. And to think that it was so hard for me because I had to choose and that someday my husband, you know, if he wanted to, he could just take on another wife and it would never, he would never have to agonize with sort of the sacrifice that I did. That, that just felt deeply unfair to me. Mm -hmm. You know, Lindsay, I know that you interviewed Judith Freeman recently and you said that um, she said that Mormon women are, are haunted by the specter of polygamy, that that specter shows up in, in their married lives. Did you see uh, beginning the, the podcast as, as a kind of exorcism? I mean, was, was that a way of grappling with uh, the, 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 the aftermath of, of polygamy or, or the threads that still ran through your marriage? Yeah. And I think, you know, I think I've been pretty open about that too. That was one of my main motivations. I, you know, Judith Freeman talked about the residue of polygamy. Carolyn Pearson has talked about the specter, like you're talking about. She's um, actually writing a book about it. Uh, how, you know, for fundamentalist women who have to practice polygamy, I don't, I don't mean to conflate our situations because they actually live polygamy. So it's different. Mm -hmm. But with LDS women, it's sort of, unique in that we are taught our entire lives that it's weird and wrong and wicked and we don't practice it anymore. But we always know in the back of our mind that it's coming for you. You have to, if you really want to, you know, to be committed to God, you're going to have to live it someday. And so it, it's haunting. And, you know, Carolyn Pearson talks about that, but Judith Freeman talks about this residue, which I think is a little bit different. The residue is sort of this residue from our theological and historical past that all Mormons feel even if they don't know that it's there and it I think it lingers in our attitudes about family and our attitudes about marriage and so 
that was definitely there. And I think because I had this painful situation, I knew what it was like to have a divided heart. I didn't have any resources to talk about that. I definitely, I hoped, at least when I started the podcast, I was naive in the sense that I thought that just, you know, researching the history, learning more about Joseph Smith, that would be enough for me. And of mm-hmm. course, as my listeners know, as they hear the podcast sort of develop, that it turns out to be a larger ball of yarn to entangle than I originally thought when we started. Yeah. So Dallin, that's, that's Lindsay's perspective. She, she, you can hear her, her grappling with this. You can hear her trying to, um, find some resolution for this, this situation that she's found herself in, you know, with this missionary, with her rapid marriage to you, you know, rolling it into this historical precedent of, of polygamy. How, how did that feel for you? I mean, when you found yourself in a new marriage, you know, at a young age, how, how old were you, Dallin, when you got married? Oh, uh, we were, I was barely 22 by like two days. Yeah. So as, as a 22 year old, re- you're a return missionary yourself and, and you're in this new marriage. Were there thoughts of polygamy? Did, did this other, you know, missionary that Lindsay had, had been, um, engaged to, did that enter your consciousness at all as, as any kind of like polygamous precedent? Or was that just not on the horizon for you? I think at that time, at that point, I was pretty naive. Mm-hmm. You know, Lindsay talking about it, obviously it kind of made me, you know, think about it more and more as we got older and older and just kind of grew together. But yeah, not, not so much. Not at first, anyway. Right. So, so it really, I mean, this is really gendered then, right? But like, here's Lindsay having this, you know, deeply complicated wrestling with, um, the, the theological implications in her actual marriage of polygamy. Um, and she's been raised up to that. But as, as a young man raised in the Mormon church, you're like, I'm good. Yeah, I mean, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, even like when we were first married, I even made a joke with Lindsay. I don't, I don't remember the context of it. Like she might have burned a meal or didn't clean. I don't, I don't remember what it was, but I just remember making a joke. Like that's, that's no big deal. I'll just get another wife in the next life or another wife in the next life. So, you know, whatever. It's fine. And then that joke didn't really play out very well at the time. It, I, I thought it was hilarious, but <laughs> the joke heard around the oh. world. That's the joke I always talk about. Uh, that's um you know Lindsay every once in a while will will show me um her her downloads from uh, around the world right now there are people all over the world wincing at the same time going oh not the other wife joke Dallin well uh, you know what's ironic about that though Sarah is that while while it's my Utah accent while while he didn't have to really grapple with that in the same way. There was something going on in our marriage. And it was something that I think a lot of people experience, especially people, Mormons that sort of get married young to either have sex or to, you know, be adults for the first time or move out as was a lot of our case. But we didn't have like the resources or language to talk about this, but I was grieving another person. And so in a way, Dallin was sort of sharing his newlywed wife with another person. If that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Dallin, is that how you would have characterized it at the time? No, I wouldn't say sharing her by any stretch of the imagination. But I, Lindsay was always open and honest about, you know, this missionary she was waiting for from the moment I met her. I mean, that was one of the first things she even brought up. So um, she, he's always just kind of been a part of it. I would never, never get assumed it's like, or thought of it as like sharing him. But you know, I, I'm struck by how um, neatly this fits into like larger conversations about gender and, and and about complexity. You know that that women hold all of these different spots, and that men are socialized to see things in a very binary sort of way. And it sounds like what you're saying, Dallin, is that like yes, there was this missionary, but then there was me, and you know, I won. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And then, I, I got the girl. Yeah, that's so. kind of how I looked at it too. Like, yeah, yeah. Look, look mm-hmm. at me. I win. Awesome. Good for me. And that's kind of all I cared about at the point, but didn't didn't really mm-hmm. think about everything else. So, your polygamy begins. Lindsay starts filling up the house with with books, and and Dallin, you, at what point did you get the sense? 
oh no, this is not a passing hobby. This is this this is getting traction. What what was the tipping point for you? I I think when she started doing her the the actual podcast because she did a lot of research before the actual podcast, but when she actually started podcasting about it, that's when I was kind of like, oh okay, this that's where this is going. That's when I kind of knew it was a, it was a, it was a lot bigger thing than either one of us was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a little background for folks who maybe weren't aware that um, before the Your Polygamy podcast, Lindsay had been doing the Feminist Mormon Housewives podcast that was very broad ranging, and so you know Dallas would see her become interested in um, you know the feminism and pornography or feminism and pop culture. And, and those were things that would kind of come and go and that maybe, you know, a few episodes of the Feminist Mormon Housewives podcast would be dedicated to those subjects, but then they would pass along. <laughs> so right. for you, it was when the, the podcasting for Europe Polygamy began in earnest that, that you got the sense that this wasn't something that was going to yeah. just pass. Exactly. Did you think um, that a hundred episodes were in the works? Uh, no, not at all. And uh, if you could, you know, go go back in time and and, and speak to um, 2014, you know, Dallin, like, do you think he would do anything differently? Do you think that would, I, I mean, my husband, Jason, has, has flat out said, like, had I known how involved in feminist women housewives and Mormon feminists you would have become, like, I would have tried to hide the computer. Yeah, it's I, not a very feminist thing to say. No, but I, I can get where he's coming from on that. Like, I wouldn't trade it for the world, like the experiences we've had. But there, there's been some hard things with it too that have came with it. But, but it's been, I mean, it's been, it's been good. Well, let's talk about some of those hard things. Um, I think that Lindsay has has said in a lot of places, and Lindsay, maybe you just kind of want to recap it now that there was a transition point in the year of polygamy when it was transitioning from being this is our more um not not ancient but certainly our older past to this is now moving into the present. These are people who were alive when I was born. These are practices that are starting to bleed into what led up to you finding yourself in a situation where you were you know, married to one man still in love with another and, and feeling those echoes of polygamy in your life. Um, do you want to give us a little recap of that, Lindsay? Yeah. And I think that this is important because the podcast it's not just the history of, you know, Mormon polygamy. That, that is part of it. These are stories of Mormon polygamy. It is that. It is me and my personal journey. And you hear this in the podcast. And it is also the journey of like so many people, so many listeners. And so, you know, it might seem weird that we're doing this episode or maybe navel gazy or narcissistic. But the podcast has always been about sort of how my views have evolved on this on this subject and sort of, and I guess that's why I wanted to talk about it with Dallin and my own relationship and, and how it's affected him and our family, because this is what it, this is what it's about. This is what the entire, the entire series has really fed into. And one of the things like you mentioned, I had always thought polygamy was, you know, that one thing that, that Brigham Young had done. And then when I found out when I was married, when I was 25, that Joseph Smith was a polygamist, I was shocked. And that's what sort of led to this obsession, this craving of um, finding out more information. And yet I could still, it was painful and it was awful. And I was angry for a lot of years. And, but talk, you know, researching the history helped. I don't think that I felt anger about the issue for a long time until I realized how prevalent it is today. And the anger wasn't necessarily because um, it was prevalent. I wasn't mad that it was still on the earth or existing. I think I was mad because I didn't know it. And once you know what that's like to be in the church and to think that you got this down on lock, that you think that you understand the gospel, and that having a testimony and faith is enough, and then having your worldview sort of shattered by the history, it's not a fun and comfortable place to experience that again and again. And of course we do. Of course, that's how we grow. But for me to learn that it was everywhere around me and I had just either been willfully ignoring it um, 
but also like contributing to some of the things that were contributing to the harm in the communities. That was just, it was devastating to me. And I think, um, I think it affected me really deeply. Yeah. Lizzie, you just said, you know, it was not a fun thing to experience and that it was hard, but that you had to explicate it in order to learn and grow. And I think for a lot of people, they feel like they can, they can empathize with that part, but maybe what's harder for them to understand is that you do your learning and growing in a, in a very public way. Like you invite people into that process, uh, even tonight, like, um, doing a, a podcast with your husband to say, this is how this has affected my marriage. This is a part of it. Um, can you, can you tell us like why you feel like you need to make that choice? Yeah, I feel, I still feel a lot of guilt about the way that I framed the first few episodes. It was a sort of well-intentioned naivete about this idea that if you just read, it's sort of this, um, Bushman, um, Eugene England idea that if you read enough church history, then it's going to be made okay. Or at least that's how I interpreted what they were saying at the time. And now I realize that that is not what they meant. They didn't mean the more you read history, the more you're going to be okay with it. They just meant that context sort of complicates and disrupts things. And what I didn't realize at the time is that I, I needed a lot of narratives in my own life disrupted. So I thought, and I sort of promise everyone, I give them this promise in good faith that we're going to get through this. Like, if you guys will just hear me out, if you'll be patient, if you'll listen to these stories, we'll be okay. And then when when it wasn't okay, I just felt like I had betrayed everybody because it wasn't okay. And not only is the history not okay, but it's not okay right now. And, and it's not going to be okay for a long time. And it not being okay is not just a condemnation of polygamy itself, but all this, all the things that are tied into it, that all of us in the LDS church who, who are resistant to polygamy are part of the problem. Like our resistance is part of the problem. And that's such a complicated thing. So, so I feel a responsibility there. And I also feel like here I am listening to women lose their autonomy over and over and over again throughout history throughout, you know, Mormon history. And then I talk to all these interviews and I go down to Colorado city and I speak to women. And I felt that myself as an LDS woman, I felt that I gave things away. Um, when I got married that I didn't even know I had to give that my body was given to my husband and to God and to my kids. And I never had a chance to ever let it be mine. And, Mm -hmm. and so I really connected with that. And I feel like if I'm going to talk about hundreds of people's marriages and their relationships on this podcast, mine should be fair game. Like, you know, this issue has affected my marriage. It has shaped my marriage. And so while I don't feel like I owe, you know, all the listeners out there every little detail, I do think that I should at least, you know, talk about how it's affected my own relationship, if that makes any sense. This, this is your live by the sword, die by the sword. Um, podcasting pedagogy. <laughs> That's right. Ride or die. <laughs> You're, I'm a ride or die podcaster for sure. That's, I just, I, I do feel a connection with listeners. Um, I feel a connection with the women that I've talked about. I, it's very hard for me to separate and maybe that's really codependent or unhealthy. And maybe that's what led to me having sort of this year of change and reflection in my own life. But I, it's really hard for me to separate this issue. I feel like I experienced polygamy, but just in an LDS way. Mm-hmm. Well, and this was, this was perhaps me being a little bit inartful. I don't know how Terry Gross gets her. Um, I don't know how you get your uh, people you're interviewing to walk into the questions you want them to. I think what um, just knowing you personally, um, w- what I was looking for was a, a little bit of um, uh, context around how you frame th- the need to um, be kind of excoriating in, in your, in your honesty and your self-reflection. And that that's something that really, um, has served you well, that, that when you 
fail to do that. And if you're not really um, kind of brutal in your, in your honesty and your self-reflection, that that leads to shame and, and shame has really negative impacts in your life. And I, I think that's what I was trying to lead you into saying. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. No, and, and that's definitely, I that is definitely something that drives me to this day. So a long time ago, not a long time ago, several years ago, I did a podcast with John Delin on Mormon Stories about my eating disorder. And, you know, people yeah. would come to me and say, you're so brave. That was brutally honest. I could never say those things publicly. And when people say that, I know that they mean well when they say you're so brave for saying that. But what I heard was like, you should be ashamed to say that thing in public, yeah. which means you should be ashamed of that thing. <laughs> and yeah. I, first of all, I can't live my life that way. But second of all, I know what shame and secrecy does. It almost killed me with, with that, um, disorder. And yet here I am talking about polygamy and what I believe is one of the main contributors to the abuse in some of these communities is secrecy and shame. And so for me to not hold myself as accountable as I'm asking us to hold other people feels mm -hmm. deeply, deeply hi hypocritical to me. Yeah. So that's how Lindsay conceptualizes it. And, and that's how, how Lindsay sees herself as, um, responsible to this public that she has, um, that, that, that she feels this very specific responsibility to. But Dallin, um, I'm, I'm guessing that, that you see your own, uh, responsibility very differently. As far as like, like, well, like as far as like talking podcast. about it or? Yeah. Lindsay has this podcast. Lindsay has grown this relationship and she feels this responsibility to, to continue it. But for you, um, you know, processing the effects of, of polygamy, um, you know, Lindsay working through this relationship, you know, having gotten married at a young age, ha having the, the, you know, at one point dual engagements. Um, okay, I, see, I see what you mean. It's not like I don't want to talk about it or like as far as I guess I'm just more. I don't I don't know how to explain it, but I don't I don't know. That's that's a tough one because I just kind of keep to myself and not really vocal about this kind of stuff either. Yeah. Where, where Lindsay's like researched so much of it's so like we and her like, you know, kind of talk about it here and there, but, but I, I don't know. So Dallin, do you think it's a fair characterization to say that, um, you choose to put yourself out there, you know, to do podcasts like this, to, to go to these conferences and, and engage in this broader conversation about polygamy, not so much because you personally are engaged with it as a topic or a subject, but because you're engaged with your wife and she is engaged with it. Is, is that a fair assumption? Yeah, I think so. For sure. Your relationship to polygamy, your relationship to, um, uh, Lindsay, it's, it's been changed by all of this, hasn't it? I, I would definitely say it's changed. Um, like it's got me to think a lot more about it. I'm a lot more aware of like the history behind it all. And it's, and it's fascinating. So like, 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 and I even hate to even bring this up, but, um, like I just barely started listening to her podcast probably like two <laughs> months ago. So, which is horrible. Right. But I mean, Oh, so anyway, right. but yeah, and it's fascinating. I think I'm like on episode 55 now or something. So I'm like almost a little over halfway there, but that's great. Where do you listen to them? Uh, so I drive out to Vernal once a week. So in my work truck, I have about six hours a week of just driving. So, it helps, so wh helps what has the been the most surprising thing to you that you, that you've gleaned from them? Um, is it about Lindsay? Is it about the podcast? The most, nothing's really surprised me listening to it. But I, I do get a lot of like, oh yeah, I remember talking about this with Lindsay or I remember, you know, sitting on the couch hearing her say that. So it's just, it's just been fascinating just to hear, you know, just kind of like in order in context. Mm -hmm. I gotta say, so I always tease him about not listening to the podcast, but he was usually there like watching a football game in the background when I was recording. So he's heard the podcast, but he's never heard the produce <laughs> podcast <laughs> right right and now dylan you know you work in a in a pretty male industry is that right yeah i would say that's pretty fair for sure and, and i think you know folks that you work with have you know lindsay's been on the news or she's been mentioned in you know kind of an on national um networks what do the people that you socialize or work with say to you about it um 
they, they, the people that do know about it think it's pretty fascinating and we'll, we'll talk about it like on a weekly basis. Just, but, um, I think, I think a lot of people out there don't realize who my wife is or if they have seen her, they haven't really paid much attention to it as far as that goes. But the, but the people, there, there definitely are a lot of people out there that I do see though that have seen it. And that's always kind of a, kind of weird for me actually. Just like, yep, that's my wife, but not, not like an embarrassed kind of weird, just kind of like weird that it's, like, my wife's getting kind of popular with that. Yeah, but I'm getting popular with polygamy. Doesn't that bother you that it's like, <laughs> if you're going to be famous for something, like, do you want to be famous for polygamy? You are the polygamist expert, I believe is what they referred to on the news once. Yeah, it's interesting, for sure. <laughs> Have you gotten any pushback, Dallin? I mean, I, I'm thinking about, like, and I'm I'm being super oversimplifying and thinking about, like, Utah culture and, you know, masculinity like, has any of that come up for you? Like, oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Like, um, you know, a few guys at work or stuff, stuff like that, like the people you know really well, they, they think it's kind of weird or, you know, it's kind of weird that your wife's into this. Like, what's going on? Or are you in the polygamy? You know, I get that a lot. Um, really, really my family, they're, they've been the one that's been, I would say, the hardest about this. Like, just cause it's, for some reason, they just, I don't know. They don't, I don't understand. I don't think they understand what Lindsay actually does with polygamy and they think that it's, what she's doing is bad and that's sure. kind of hard and because they feel like an, an exploration of polygamy is ipso facto like anti-mormon you exactly. know like dredging up yep yeah you know what i am just so shocked by i cannot believe that it has never once occurred to me until you just now said it that people would make the connection are you into polygamy? Right, right. But uh, that now seems, once you say it, Dallin, it seems very obvious. Like, hey, why is your wife so into polygamy? Yeah, why, why else would you be doing this? Right. Yep. You live in Utah. You have a large home. How many wives do you have? Right, exactly. Would you like to answer that tonight for us, Dallin? Would you like to just... Yes, on the record, wives? no, I do not live polygamy. <laughs> nor have I ever wanted to or ever do I see myself wanting to? And, you know, I just got to say that question is so funny because I've talked to so many Mormon women who their husbands will say the same thing. Like, no, I d I've never been interested in it. And all of us Mormon women go like, yeah, right. But I really do think that knowing Dallin's personality, he's just very chill and easygoing. I don't, I think he would be really overwhelmed by it. Like one Lindsay is enough. <laughs> As someone who has stayed frequently at your home, I can attest that <laughs> has never seemed interested in adding wives or the right. stress or anything that those would bring to them. Tell them about the sister wife joke ban, Dallin. So yes, Dallin. Yeah, so about that ban. So we we have this um, girl living with us, and I, that was like the one thing I said. I was like, hey, it's fine. She can come stay with us, but. We seriously cannot joke about sister wives at all. And I think at the very beginning, like you, you wanted to a lot, if I remember right. And it was just like, please stop. <laughs> anyway. Why, why the ban on, on sister wives jokes? Like, uh, would, would that have been uncomfortable for you? I, did you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Lindsay, did you respect that unilaterally? <laughs> I think Sarah's like, this is your famous fishing technique. Um, <laughs> I think we've it's tried really subtle. hard. I, although I will say that there was a point in the podcast where sister wife jokes stopped being funny to me. I was oh, like, this I is serious. You guys stop making jokes about this. And I even, there was a time when I couldn't even watch uh, the, what is that? The unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt show. No, I remember. Remember I tried to get you to watch it for the first time and you were just like too soon. Not funny. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe it's made me a lot less funny. I don't know. What do you think, Don? I think you're hilarious. Oh. Still. See, that's a good husband right there. Yep. Thank Although, you. Dallin, you will acknowledge that this is the problem with someone who is who has studied something intensively. That like one of the problems that Lindsay had with the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, it's it's a you know, it's a comedy show that borrows loosely from like the conceit of um fundamentalism and, and women being entrapped. But it's very loose. But when Lindsay watched it, she was like, yeah, like the patterns of their dresses are all wrong. Like, <laughs> right. they know they're not doing right. their hair right. Yeah, that's, yeah, I get that for sure. 
Does she do that with a lot of things? Like, is is looking for accuracy? Yeah, yeah. Like, she wants, like, um, real things. She can't just handle something that's somewhat fake or pretend. It's got to be real. Yeah. Well, I, I think that um, is, is a good transition point. You know, your polygamy went from being historical to moving into the real time. And I know, you know, this is a, a podcast where we're looking at how this has impacted your marriage and how you both kind of like grew your understanding uh, as individuals and as a couple. But let's talk a little bit about um, coming into into real time and coming into contact with real fundamentalism, how, how that affected your marriage, how that affected how you viewed the community that you lived in. What do you want to say about that? By that point where she did start bringing um, real people, I should say, like, like interviewing them or even like coming over to the house for dinner or even like helping out with like the service projects. Um, by that point, I mean, I was, I was fine with it just because it was just kind of a natural course of action that, it, that kind of occurred after the, you know, during the series, mm-hmm. which, which has been interesting. We've met some great people and continue to meet great people. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people, one of their questions for you, Dallin is I think what people imagine what it would be like to go from having this pretty stereotypical, um, you know, nuclear family to one that is steeped in fundamentalism and polygamy and in terms of who, who you are connected with. I don't think a lot of people can see themselves doing what you did and just kind of like rolling with it and saying like, well, I guess that's the next new thing. And you seem to view that as, as the natural course, like, well, that's what we were involved in. That's what we found ourselves in. But I think for a lot of people, like, you know, myself included, when I think about how, you know, my own partner, you know, would react, it would be with a lot more hesitation and a lot more uh, skepticism or, or, or distrust about engaging. So I, I do feel really curious about like, how did you embrace that so readily? It it just kind of happened. And I think also it helps in, is I'm just a pretty easygoing guy. Like I don't really get worked up with about a lot of things. So, and, and Lindsay clearly enjoyed doing what she did. So I would, you know, just, would encourage her or just help her out where I could or, you know, keep the kids quiet for an hour or two. That's just kind of what I did. Um, keeping the kids quiet for an hour or two is the greatest thing that any person it's, could do. It's but hard. It's, let's it not hard. undersell that. Yeah. And I'm, 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 I think I have like post-traumatic stress disorder or something from it, but whatever. <laughs> do you see that's Dallin Park fishing for donations now to the listeners? <laughs> the Dallin Park. Yeah. Fishing. My life's really hard. You guys. Well, okay. I I feel like we're not discussing this and that you guys, both of you have these sort of extraordinary temperaments that acclimate very easily and kind of seek out the positive and focus on the positive. But I know you've talked publicly about this. Your house was attacked. Yeah, that did happen. That sucked. Coming by your home. (laughs) You had to delist, you know, your, your address. Yeah. Yeah, we, we did that. We moved. That? Yeah, that that it sucked actually, pretty bad. But so we um after the podcast had ended, there was a lot of momentum, and the podcast started circulating amongst uh, faithful faithful people in different fundamentalist circles. And so by the time our house was the fir- it was vandalized for about a month straight, um, every weekend. And when it first happened, we, we didn't know what it was. We thought this could be, you know, maybe I made my neighbors mad or maybe like my LDS friends think that I'm speaking up on gay marriage too much or we, we had no idea. And, um, we later found out from one of my sources, uh, that we, we believe it was, um, members of one specific group who, uh, felt, just felt attacked by some of the things I was involved with at the time. Because remember, once the podcast ended, I was still very much involved with these communities and um, doing what I thought was helping maybe getting law enforcement involved in some cases and 
in bringing some people together um, to get to get what I saw was justice. But it, you know, people reacted to that and responded to that. And that was a really scary time. And and I have learned in just doing these episodes, Sarah, that uh, when I will do and like I interviewed Jeremy Tucker, for example, and I love Jeremy and I think he's amazing. But after I got off the podcast, he and I kind of talked about some stuff that we didn't want to talk about online or on air because it's, you know, sensitive stuff. And I just, my body felt like it was on fire and I had to go for a run. And I was telling Dallin, this is so weird because when I did the original series, I didn't do any of those things. After I I did a disturbing episode or an interview or scary things happened, I didn't process it at all. I just moved on to the next episode. And a lot of people listening will say, oh, you know, I rage clean when I listen to your podcast or I go for a run or I have to take a break. I didn't do any of that. I just plowed through it. And I think I didn't realize how much it had affected me. Um, and, and not to say like, I don't want sympathy in the sense that, you know, this is, we're talking like secondary trauma. I didn't have to necessarily live these stories, but first of all, I identified with this losing your autonomy thing, but then you hear the stories over and over and over again, and then you meet the people and then you see it happening and, and you go down and you see families, you know, mothers trying to get their children back and being part of that and the adrenaline that's there and seeing, you know, walking with one of your friends in Colorado City where he sees his brother-in-law who is a faithful FLDS that won't talk to him. Like, it just became so real and I didn't process it. Like, I'm processing it now, but I think after the podcast ended, I, I was a wreck and I don't think I knew it. And so when the house was vandalized, I think it set me off, um... I don't know. How would you say that that affected? I think that for me, that was that really affected me. Yeah, that. Well, I mean, obviously, it affected us. We we moved to uproot our whole family and you know got out of there. So I mean, that in a, in and of itself was a huge thing. I mean, like life changing, really. Yeah, and I just want to note that both of you, in your kind of overview of your interactions and your engagement with polygamy. For most of us, that would have been the first words out of our mouth. Like, hey, we had to move our home. <laughs> hey, we were literally under siege. You know, the police were involved. We were afraid for our children. And you both just seem to have such remarkable temperaments for moving forward, putting things into like context and really taking this much longer view. Do you feel like that's something that is pretty specific to the two of you, or does that just feel normal to you? I would say normal. Um, when we want, like, when we want something, we usually just do it or we react to it and don't really think about it. Like, when we actually thought about moving, it was like, all right, yeah, let's call our agent and let's just see what happens. And it was like sold within like a week, week or two. Like, the day we listed it, it sold. So it just kind of happened and we just kind of rolled with it. Lindsay brought up not processing things as they happened and only recognizing now kind of on, on the other end of it and having maybe these new tools and, and, and seeing that like, Hey, this is, this is really affecting me. Let's go back to when Lindsay was really delving into Warren Jeffs and she did an episode that started out with um, a recording that had been made of him in prison. And I know, Lindsay, that you were really deeply disturbed by that. But that also seems to be an encapsulation of the other part that you were talking about, which was that you were deeply disturbed. And you dealt with that by delving even deeper into it and just kind of pushing forward through it. I know that I couldn't listen to that episode. And I heard from multiple other people that it was so affecting. It was so disturbing. It, it was so viscerally r- repugnant that they couldn't listen to it. But you were recording hours of it. You had to listen to hours upon hours it, to it to edit it down to the part that you wanted. And then you kept doing more. Yeah, I think that this has to do with anyone that's, you know, has suffered from any sort of darkness or shame or abuse can maybe relate to this. I feel like 
often, um, you know, I grew up in a household where we could talk about whatever. We could talk about whatever, but particularly there are some things that we couldn't talk about because they were too much to handle. And Sarah, I even know that you're like this. You don't like to talk about child abuse and because of your own sensitivities. For me, that response would make me internalize shame. And I, I know it doesn't make a lot of sense to people, but like, I felt like if there are things that are too dark and too, t- you know, that we can't talk about, could that ever mean that there's something too dark about me that we couldn't talk about? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't even know if that connection makes sense. But for me, when this Warren Jeff stuff was bad, it's bad. Mm-hmm. And um, it does make most people uncomfortable. But mm-hmm. I thought if we aren't talking about it, then it's not going to get talked about. And like if, if you know, we're not going to do the research, then who's going to who's going to do the research? And of course, let's not act like I'm the only person out there doing this. There have been people doing this a lot longer than me, you know, dealing directly with these victims, people like Sam Brower and Tanya Toole, who have been dealing with this a lot longer. But I, just because it's dark or hard doesn't mean that I had to stay away from it. In fact, it meant, no, that we must, we got to get down to the bottom of this. And I feel like I even knew that in my, like in my own life, you know, being married to Dallin, who who was great. He's so, you can tell he's such an easy person to be married to, but to know that I had these other conflicting feelings, this deep angst about polygamy that I kept to myself for many years in our marriage, or at least I tried to keep to myself. It didn't make it go away. Pretending it wasn't there didn't make it go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lindsay, I think we, I've, I've shared that Edna St. Vincent Millay poem with you. It's called Intention to Escape from Him. And the, the final line is, she says, dig, dig, and if I come to ledges, blast. That, that seems to be the, the Lindsay Hansen Park mode. Yeah, and it, it definitely is. And that poem actually really spoke to, to all my feelings and all these ghosts that I, I was carrying. But I think that that is, the journey that I've been on this year, that's what I have learned from year of polygamy that I, I self-care, the word self-care has always kind of bothered me because it just feels so cliche, but it's really something I've had to practice and I've had to be more attentive to how, to how this stuff has affected me and, and the personal stakes that I, that I do have in it. And Dallin's been pretty good to roll with it, but, but like he said, like our family had to move because of it. His family mm-hmm. dynamic has changed because of it. Our relationship with our close friend, Mormon friends and neighbors has drastically changed. Like, it's not like we, we do this and my choices are in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. There are consequences for this. There are consequences for being this public and speaking out. Um, Dylan, how, how, what's your perception of that? Uh, let me think about that for a second. I guess, I mean, I, I would never want to like hold Lindsay back from like doing what she does because that's important and, and the work she's doing, I feel is important. So like, like, I just go with it. Like, Hey, like we're in this together. Like you do what you do and I'll help and support you with what, you know, whatever you need help and support with. And we just, you know, let the consequences happen. Bring it on. It's a, it's a very open and accepting perspective, Dallin. I I think, um, a, a lot of people hearing it wonder what it, what it is about your temperament or your makeup or what it is about your, your marriage that has been able to sustain this because just in this last hour, you know, we, we've talked about your beginnings with a, a rapid marriage, Lindsay finding herself, you know, in love with two men delving really intensely into a project that brought polygamy into your homes in a very real and personal way that drove your family certainly drove a wedge between your family, Dallin and Lindsay, you've talked about your family having issues with, with this as well. And I I think maybe people question just like, what is, what's the mechanism that um, makes that not devastating? I, I just think it's like, like experiences I had growing up before I went on my mission, there was a girl we dated, got pretty serious Fell like madly in love with her. And then my family sat me down and was like, you got to break up with her because she wasn't LDS. You need to go on a mission. You know, kind of had an intervention with me and I, and I broke up with her just completely like a weird way to do it. And I always kind of resented that, but I always just felt like I was in love with her. And like, you know, I would, wouldn't stop thinking about her for years and years and years. Even when I met Lindsay, I'd still think about her. So like when Lindsay came and saying like, you know, she has this missionary and, you know, she's had feelings for him and whatnot. 
like I understood it because I was kind of, you know, I've been there and I had been there and I was there that mm-hmm. same, you know, that same way. So I just think just the experiences I've had, just, I, I understand, you know, no one's, you know, nothing's perfect. No one's perfect. And you just kind of make the best with what you got. I have to say that is a, a very Mormon story yes. that your parents <laughs> sat you down uh-huh. and said, this young woman is not LDS. You need to break up with her. And bonus, we have something in mind as a really good distraction. There's this thing called a mission. Right, right. We're going to send you away for two years. I I mean, for those of us who are not raised LDS, that seems like so bananas. You know, like, what? Your parents (laughs) are going to tell you? Yep, and that's what happened. But that's what happened. That's what happened. So I'm grateful for it because... You, everyone that knows me knows it's very hard for me to keep my thoughts and opinions to myself, my emotions especially. So as Dallin saw me for years grappling with this other relationship that, that I was grieving still, um, and I don't even know if it was because it was a real relationship or I just, it wasn't dealt with in a healthy way. Dallin had some context and I think some empathy, but also I think that there's something about me that I'm just like brutally honest to everyone around me that I don't think you could have gotten away with not talking about it. Well, Lindsay makes it really easy because anybody that knows Lindsay knows how wonderful she is. And she makes it super, super easy to be patient and just put up with all of her shenanigans. I just want to say that Dallin Park also like remodels and like does all these projects for Lindsay around the home. So um, there are men out there right now who are targeting you and who hate you. <laughs> Dallin, this is not going over well for them. And we can't make sister wife jokes, but I'm just saying, should polygamy actually be a mandated thing from the Lord? This is always (laughs) an option. (laughs) Never too soon. Never too soon. Um, let's, let's close up with where you are now. Um, you know, we, we started with, with your, um, marriage and, and the missionary. I know that you had like the opportunity to get some closure there. Do you want to talk about that, Lindsay? Yeah. I mean, I did have some opportunity to get some closure there. It was super messy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that this year has been easy for us, but I've been all over the place and I'm sure I've been very difficult to live with. Uh, I've, I was depressed for a while and I, moving happened so quickly and, I have had to really rethink and process how I make choices and, and, um, take some time and some thought into them and, and just how my actions, like my own pain, how when I'm acting out of my own pain, how it can, you know, really like complicate other people's lives too. And so that's been, it's been a learning thing for me too. But I, I would say that I talk about this autonomy, this autonomy that I felt that I lost. And it's been so hard because being with Dallin is so easy. He's so, you, you, you can see he's so wonderful and so supportive. People would kill for that. And yet at the same time, because of the way that it all went down back, you know, years ago that sort of crystallized this angst for polygamy, there was a part of me that always felt sort of trapped. I don't know if, if that makes any sense. And so it, it's so hard to be of those two minds when your life is so good and to always feel like you need to just go somewhere like you don't know where you don't know what that looks like but this sort of resentment and i actually think you know i've talked to a lot of people in the mormon church that do get married young and this is very common but it's not something that people talk about and so down and i have had to like sort of work that out and i know a lot of you know people who go through this process move to polyamory or they try to open their marriage or all of these these things that i that i don't think is the way that that we decided to go my autonomy is something that I've tried to really um, try to develop inside our marriage, which is kind of complicated, right? Because autonomy for me has to do with getting married so young. But Dallin's been really supportive in, in that and letting me figure that out. We actually, this is going to sound weird to people, but we it made us rethink our entire marriage and how we interact with each other. And we actually sold our wedding rings, which is, I don't think people understand, but I just felt so sort of implicated in the Mormon marriage process and how it tied with polygamy that, that it was kind of triggering for me to have our wedding rings. And because our wedding rings, like there's a story there back in the day and how we felt pressured and with each other and all of this stuff. So we sold them and that was actually really healing. No, that makes sense to me. Um, Dallin, how did you feel, uh, selling your wedding ring? Honestly, it felt good. It really did feel good. Just kind of was like, 
I mean, it felt like we actually recommitted ourselves to not just each other, but to just life. I mean, a healthy marriage, healthy just relationship. Yeah, it's been really good. It's it's a lot more sincere now. More just feels more real than it's ever felt. Whose idea was it to sell the wedding rings? Uh, I think we kind of came came together. I mean, we had spent like months and months and months talking about our marriage because what we didn't realize that happened with the podcast was it, it's not like the podcast affected our marriage, but it affected me so personally so deeply and so we had to and I was so stuck and on this autonomy thing that you know I felt like I never got and so Don and I were kind of faced with this this crisis like well Lindsay feels like her autonomy was taken for from her years and years ago does this mean that we like does that mean we have to divorce and so we spent months and months and months talking and talking and talking and like coming up with scenarios and what does this look like and what would it feel like to to make you not feel that way. And Dallin, how do you feel about this? And do you feel respected? And is this hard for you to hear? And I don't know. It was just, Dallin and I have always been able to be really honest with each other, which is nice. Mm -hmm. And so those conversations didn't feel uncomfortable. They just felt healing and necessary. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm saying, mm -hmm, but I think that yours and Dallin's response is, you know, what, what is it that Tolstoy says that like, Every happy family is alike, but every unhappy family has their own story. I don't think that's true. I mean, I think that yours is a happy family, but I would never say that you were alike <laughs> to all, all of the others. It seems like such a singular story, and it seems so built on such a unique sense of love and trust. And it's surprising to me, even knowing both of you as well as I do, that what has risen to the surface for me is seeing how much of your marriage is is a reflection of this larger conversation that we're having within feminism, within Mormon feminism, within our, our Western culture about gender roles and about women claiming their, their, their rights to their own bodies, their autonomy, and where, where that leaves them in relationship with these men that they love and are in deep partnership with. It's, it's almost too neat a, a, um, a, a parallel. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I would definitely say that I've seen many of my friends go through this and Judith Friedman and I talked about this in our podcast, how she said, she said, you know, women need to not apologize for their desires and apologize for their mistakes and apologize for their ambitions. And they need to hold their ground on that. And so as I've sort of come into my own and like as a reaction to hearing women lose their autonomy and, and trying to claim my own, what does that look like when I'm in, you know, a relationship with, with, a Mormon family. Like we, I've got my husband and my kids and we've got our mortgage. And, and so how can I do that? How can I not apologize for the things that are uniquely me and still try to maintain our family? And I, I think a lot of people that go through these transitions do that. And, and I'm not going to say that I've done it well or easily, but I would say that the thing about me is I do try to do it as openly and honestly as possible. And that for some reason has really served down and I well. Dallin, something just occurred to me. We started out the podcast by talking about Carolyn Pearson and, and Judith Freeman talking about the specter of, of polygamy and how that really manifests mostly for women. But is there a specter of, of, of Sonia Johnson? Is there a specter of when, when these women embrace these feminist tenets and begin to explore their own individuality? that it means they will leave their families, they will leave their husbands. Is is that a fear? For me personally? Is that yeah. what you're asking? Yeah, I mean, that's it's always kind of in the back of your mind, I guess. Like, you just never, you can't predict the future. Mm -hmm. So I think that fear is there. I don't lose sleep over it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's present. You, you're aware of it. But it's not driving you. Right. You don't feel. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, I think both of you have been incredibly forthcoming. I don't know many people who would 
willingly let someone come in and poke around their marriage and their their intimate uh, thoughts as as openly as you two have done. So thank you for letting me do that. And thank you for continuing to be a resource for, for the broader community. And I, I hope that um, the conversation that we've had tonight is useful. And I hope that it leads to conversations in, in the homes of folks listening and that this is an opportunity for us to deepen our relationships with each other and um, explore the ways that Mormon feminism and the unique history of uh, the LDS Church has shaped our lives. Dallin and Lindsay, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. And re- really quick, I just want to say one thing too. Um, just I want to thank everybody that supported Lindsay throughout the whole year of polygamy. Whether it was just like nice things to say about it, financial donations, every all that. You know, it's been it's been awesome, and I. Just want to say thanks to everybody. I really, you know, it means a lot to me and the Lindsay. So I appreciate it. Yeah, and thanks, Sarah. Thanks for being willing to do this, and for the listeners again, you know, being a very actual part of my life. So and uh, going on this journey with us. If you enjoyed what you heard today, make sure that you join us at Sunstone this summer. It's always the last week of July, and this year it's at the University of Utah. I'll be there along with all of my friends and a lot of the guests you heard on this podcast. So register at sunstone.org. And thanks again for Lady Murasaki for letting us use this amazing music. Thanks for listening to Year of Polygamy. Polygamy.